Don't kill me! Don't kill me, man! I'm not going to kill you. I want you to do me a favor. I want you to tell all your friends about me. What are you? I'm Batman. everybody. Welcome to the first ever episode of Legends of the Batman. My name is Michael Kaiser and with me is Michael Bradley. Hello, Michael. Hello. Uh, so the purpose of this show is fairly selfish. Um, Mike and I are going to be using this show as an excuse to read lots of Batman comics and uh, basically explore his uh, origins um, and evolution over the decades. If you're listening to this, you've probably already downloaded other podcasts like this where uh, there's people that basically talk about offer commentary on comic books, uh, usually a specific era or character. Uh, for me, I started listening to a podcast a couple years ago called From Crisis to Crisis that uh, talks about post-crisis Superman. And I don't know, for some reason when Superman gets something, I want Batman to have it too. So I was hoping that someone would start doing a Batman version of that. And it kind of never happened. In fact, it seemed like more and more Superman podcasts were coming out. To where now it's, I think, every era of his life is covered by a podcast. Yeah, uh-huh. Um, so then I started thinking maybe I'll just do it myself. And right around that time, I, I saw that, speaking of Superman podcasts, that Mike was doing a, a Golden Age Superman podcast, which maybe you want to tell them about. Uh, my show is The Thrilling Adventures of Superman, and you can find that at www.greatcrypton.com and what that is is I started with Action Comics number one and I'm just going forward uh, story by story covering you know the comics and the newspaper strips and eventually uh, the radio show and the movie serials and whatnot and I'm just kind of exploring through the history of the character um, I'm trying to get a little deeper into it and give background on the character and and uh, I've started doing some profiles on creators and, and different people that were involved with it too so you know, it's it's similar to uh, the the comic casts that are out there, but I, I try to go more into the history of it as well. Right. So, I've known Mike for a while now. We I used to moderate on a board with, uh, called Comic Boards, um, and he would he moderated also. He moderated the Superman board. I was moderating the Captain America board. Uh, so I saw him and doing this podcast, I got excited and dropped him a a line to tell him what I thought of it and. Uh, also happened to mention that I was thinking about doing a Batman podcast, and uh, he wrote back and said he was actually thinking of doing a Batman podcast too, so we just decided why not pool our efforts and do one together. So here we are. So just to get a little more detailed for what we're going to be doing is each week, uh, for each episode, Mike and I will be taking a look at a month worth of Batman, whether it be comic book stories, newspaper strips, serials, television, movies, whatever we can find him in. Starting with his debut in Detective Comics number 27, cover dated May 1939, 
And then with each episode, we're going to be moving from one month to the next, uh, providing commentary and synopsis on basically how Batman started and how he how he's evolved over the over the years. Everything Batman we can get. Everything Batman we can get. Uh, by way of um, by way of a little bit of background, um, my earliest memories of Batman come from the Super Friends cartoon show and the Superpowers toy line, uh, and of course. Batman and Robin's appearance is on the Scooby-Doo cartoon. And I was thinking today that I think that's really the only exposure I had of the character until I was probably 12 years old or so. Because that's when, when I was 12, is when uh, Tim Burton's Batman movie came out. Yes. I just, re- I just realized I just dated myself there, but <laughs> that's okay. Um, yeah. I, I didn't see the movie at the time, but one of the local TV stations started airing reruns of the Adam West Batman show. And I watched those just all I could. Um, they were usually on in the evening, not long after supper. And mom and dad had this old black and white television in their bedroom. So I would hole up in there and they, they showed two episodes back to back and I would watch both of those. And I just loved them. Um, I'm not sure when I saw Batman for the, the movie for the first time. But I'm pretty sure it was before 1992 because that was when Batman the Animated Series came out. Right. They started airing that. Mm -hmm. And I watched that all I could too, uh, usually after school when I was supposed to be doing my homework. (laughs) But uh, – Far more important than homework. Yeah, far more important than homework, of course. And 1992 was also around the time I started reading comics more. Um, I think it was late 92. Um, but I was, I was and still am a big Superman fan, and I probably would have never started reading comics like I am today if it wasn't for Superman. Uh, I've never really read a lot of Batman stuff except for guest appearances and team books, you know, like in the World's Finest or Justice League. But interestingly, one of my first Superman comics that I, you know, from when I really started reading, had Batman in it. It was uh, Man of Steel number three from the reboot. Oh. Yeah. yeah. Um, I remember reading that for the first time, and it was kind of really interesting because he didn't have the yellow symbol on his chest, and I remember just thinking, what the heck's that about? I don't know. <laughs> it's just so used um, to that. But I, if, if I can kind of take a little uh, detour here and tell a story, um, I was trying to think when it was, and it must have been the summer of 92 because that's when another book I'm going to talk about came out. But my family was on vacation down in uh, Missouri, and – we were in this town, and they had a comic shop. So mom and mom and my sister were out shopping, and I begged my dad to let me go to the comic shop. So we went down there, and it was my first time ever in a comic shop. And um, he he agreed to buy me two comic books. So I'm looking through the, the long boxes and whatnot and wanted to find something with Superman in it. I couldn't find it. So I go up to the clerk at the counter, and I asked him where the Superman comics were. And I remember he got an attitude with me. <laughs> Wanting to know what Superman comic I meant, because little did I know at the time there was action comics and adventure comic or adventures of Superman and Superman and, and yeah, you know. So he cops an attitude, but yeah, anyway, of course. Uh, I left with Man of Steel number three and then a Marvel comic, uh, What If number forty-two, which I don't know if you're familiar with that. It's uh, What If Spider-Man got to keep his six arms or something like that. Uh, I haven't read a, that uh, one. It it. At some point in Spider-Man's history, he grew uh, four extra arms. Right. 
and this was and then he ended up getting rid of him but this was the story that told what would have happened if he kept them everybody would have died right I don't remember. Oh. It's, it's probably been a decade since I read that comic. That's so. usually how what ifs end up. It's like <laughs> everybody's dead, so the original decision was better. <laughs> yeah, but anyway, that was my first exposure to the to a Batman in a comic book. Yeah. Uh, and since then, I've read you know guest appearances here and there, and uh, not too long ago, I picked up all the Chronicles series for the the trade paperbacks, which got me interested in the golden age stuff and maybe wanting to do a batman podcast so you're a big superman fan for me as far as you know collecting collecting captain america is uh what i was kind of fanatical about um i started collecting when i was in seventh grade and i think i remember the first thing i purchased was captain america number 302 which was a back issue at the time and i also purchased a copy of batman number 426 which was the First issue of the Death in the Family, oh wow, uh, miniseries or story arc, and so you, uh, you probably didn't recognize the significance of that at um, the time. No, I don't think so. And also, I think I did eventually because the newspaper, of course, blew up with that story. Mm-hmm. I remember cutting clippings out of that and uh, just wow, Batman's in the newspaper. That's fun. <laughs> but um, unfortunately, after I started buying comics, my mom decided that it was wasting money. So. She only allowed me to buy like one a month at that mm-hmm. from that point on. So uh-huh. I picked Cap over Batman and and just kept going with that. And uh, I guess that's a story for a Captain America podcast. But as far as just Batman in general outside of the comic books, I can't really remember. Uh, you know, a first time I I encountered the character. I've you know we've just always known about that guy. Uh, guys, yeah, like, they these characters they just get uh, yeah. ingrained into the. You know, the yeah, public. And, right. Superman, Batman, Wonder yeah. Woman. And it could be all from Super Friends, you know. Maybe that's just as far back as I can remember. Um, I remember I had a Mego doll um, that I was obsessed with and Super Friends. And uh, anytime they showed up on an episode of Scooby-Doo, it was like the best Saturday ever. Uh-huh. Uh, Batman and Robin. Um, and then, of course, the Adam West TV show and syndication. I used to get up and watch that all the time. Um, and then... You know, from there, just 1989 movie uh, blew the lid off Batman for me in a way because at that up until that point he was just you know he was kind of Adam West Batman. Even even in the limited amount of comics I'd read, he was you know he has the blue cape and the cowl and he's kind of a nice yeah. guy. And then all of a sudden the 89 movie comes out. <laughs> you know, it's dark and yeah, the Joker's actually scary. And I I remember just really loving that take. Um, and then like you said, the animated series that was just all the rage when I was in high school along with, you know, Star Trek, the next generation. Uh, so yeah, like you, I haven't really, I mean, I have collected him as much as I've collected everybody at some point or another. I used to work at a comic shop after high school. So, uh, you know, I didn't know that 40, 40% discount. Got to buy everything, you know, buy everything. Um, (laughs) so I have collected him and like, I think around the time of nightfall, uh, but like you, I, I can't say that my love for Batman is because of a specific comic book run, necessarily. You know, it's always stuff outside of the comics, like cartoons, movies, um, action figures, what have you. So I think that was one of the reasons I wanted to do this, is as, as, as an excuse to really delve into his comic book uh, career more. Yeah, that's that's one thing we want to stress, is that we aren't, we're not Batman experts. We no. just both like the character, and you know, we want to dig a little more into his history. Um, I don't know about Mike, but I'm trying not to read too far ahead 
on the stories that we're going to be covering in the you know the next say six months or so. No. Because that way we can learn yeah. as we go. I guess is one way to put it. Right. You know, I'm not either. Just take it one ish, one, one one month at a time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Speaking of comic books, um, what I was going to do next is is I had a whole history leading up to his very first issue that we're going to be talking about here. And I had it all worked out. And the more you look at, I find anyway, the more you look at Batman's, you know, concept history, it, the, the murkier and, and, uh, just the worse it gets. Cause people just start a lot of hearsay. There's a lot of hearsay. There's a lot of this guy, you know, Bob Kane stole this and stole that. And even Bill Finger stole this and that. And anyway, I was going to read it, but then I was, Right before the show, I was flipping through the Millennium Edition of Detective Comics number 27, and they had a they have a uh, an opening by Robert Greenberger, and it's much nicer than what I was going to read. So <laughs> I think I'm just going to read some of that because it's okay. it's perfect and it you know gets right to the point, and it doesn't get as murky as my stuff. And I'm not going to read the whole thing because it goes past. 27, but I'll, I'll get us up to that point anyway. Okay. So here we go. From Millennium Edition, Detective Comics 27 by Robert Greenberger. Um, here we go. With the success of Superman in Action Comics, editor Vince Sullivan began looking for more costume heroes. He asked frequent humor strip contributor Bob Kane if he'd like to create a costume character of his own. The teenage artist, hungry for a major feature of his own, was determined to leave his cartoony drawing style behind and craft a more adventurous style. Casting about for ideas, he began to assemble various influences, shaping them into a new chapter. I'm sorry, a new character. His character would be darker and non-powered, making him easier for Kane to identify with. The hero would use gadgets instead of powers, including bat-like wings to glide. Sharing these ideas with writer and friend Bill Finger, Kane quickly assembled the basics of the Batman. Finger made a few suggestions which would turn the character into an icon who would stand opposite Superman, ultimately helping to make him every bit as immortal. These included reshaping the wings into a cloak-like cape and adding gloves and a full coverage cowl. This Batman owed as much to Superman as to the shadowy pulp heroes of the day. Sullivan liked the darker tone, feeling it better fit a title called Detective Comics, and so he bought the first story. And here we are. Detective Comics number 27. So from that, it sounds like Batman owes as much to, you know, it sounds like he took inspiration from not only Superman, but the pulp stuff is, as, uh, the pulp stuff's obvious. I guess it's both pretty obvious. Um, yeah. But I, it, it sounds like a kind of a, a perfect blend between the two. Right. And this, this article I just read kind of suggests that they were making him for action and then they decided to use him in Detective, whereas... What I've read is that they actually they were specifically looking for something for Detective to to match the Superman character in action. Hmm. So I don't know if they purposely geared him towards you know a detective like character to fit all the other characters in that book or or what. But nonetheless, that's what he is. Right. So do we want to get into the the very first issue here? Or absolutely. You got any more to add to the? No, I think we're good. Okay. Uh, well, I'll the, let you go. Okay. Well, Batman debuted in Detective Comics number 27, and it was uh, May 1939 cover date, and it was released sometime around April 18th of that year, and the cover price was $0.10. Cents. The uh, cover artist was Bob Kane, as uh, Michael just said, 
And the cover shows Batman swinging from the rooftops, holding a fella in a headlock, while two other men watch on. And one of those men has a gun aimed at Batman. And a banner across the top reads, starting this issue, The Amazing and Unique Adventures of the Batman. I kind of like this cover. It's it's fairly iconic. Um, not really as iconic, I think, as some other covers that will come along. But uh, I agree. Know, it's, it's a... It doesn't really say Dark Knight Detective to me. No. With the bright yellow background. and. No, it's not one of my favorite first appearance covers either. No. And I was actually trying to think, and maybe you know, um, not to put you on the spot, but, you know, like, say, Fantastic Four number one or Action Comics number one, they're always redrawing those, paying homage uh-huh. to those. And I couldn't think of anybody who's ever done that for Detective 27. There is at least one. Because I, I had it, uh, I've got a note about it to talk about it a little later. It okay. was De- uh, Detective Comics 427, I think, and Norm Brayfogle did it. Okay. Let me zip down here my notes. I figured someone had to have done it, but I just couldn't think of it off the top of my head. And there's no website that you know facilitates looking something like that up. Oh, it was Detective Comics 627. I'm sorry. Oh, okay. But uh, so yeah, and then I'm sure there's more than I think. Um, in Kingdom Come, Alex Ross did a panel. Yes. That paid homage to it. That is the only thing I could think of. <laughs> and I'm sure there's more. I, you know, the one with Robin's first appearance has probably oh, been yeah. done more when you oh, think yeah. about it. Big time. Uh, but the uh, the Batman story here is titled "The Case of the Chemical Syndicate," and it's only six pages long. Creators were writer Bill Finger, artist Bob Kane, and the editor was Vin Sullivan. And this story is Finger's first credit for DC. Like Mike said, Kane had been doing gag strips and other short features, but this is his first longer story. Uh, our story begins in the home of Police Commissioner Gordon, who is entertaining a f- young friend by the name of Bruce Wayne. Wayne asks if there's anything exciting that has happened lately, and Gordon tells him no, except that he remains puzzled by someone called the Batman. Gordon gets a phone call where he learns that someone by the name of Lambert, a chemical magnate, has been killed and that his son's fingerprints were found on the knife. Wayne, who we're told is a socialite and seems rather bored by life in general, goes along at Gordon's invitation. When they arrive at the scene, Gordon learns that Lambert's son has been detained and, after inspecting the scene, goes to talk to him. Lambert claims that he's innocent, saying that he came home and found his father lying on the floor with a knife in his back. As he rushed over, he caught someone or something escaping out the window, and that his father's safe was open. He pulled the knife out of his father's back, but it was too late. His father died in his arms, but not before uttering the dying words, Contract! Contract! Oh! Rosebud. Rosebud. Yeah. Gordon... (laughs) Gordon asks Lambert if his father had any enemies, but Lambert says only his three former business partners, Stephen Crane, Paul Rogers, and Alfred Stryker. An officer interrupts and tells Gordon that a man named Steve Crane is on the phone and wanting to speak to the elder Lambert. The officer says the caller got very excited when he was told that Lambert was dead and demanded to speak to Gordon. Gordon gets on the phone, and Crane tells him that the day before, Lambert had told him he received an anonymous death threat, and today, he, Crane, had gotten one as well. With Lambert now turning up dead, he's scared and doesn't know what to do. Gordon tells him to wait at the house and not let anyone in, and he'll be over soon. Wayne, who still seems rather bored, tells Gordon that he's going home so that Gordon and the rest of the police can get their work done. 
Meanwhile, at the home of Stephen Crane, a shadowed figure confronts Crane. A gunshot later, and Crane is dead. The assailant grabs a paper from the safe and climbs out the window to the roof where he meets an accomplice. Suddenly, the two notice a third figure standing behind them, a dark, menacing figure in a gray jumpsuit, purple gloves, black boots, a black cowl, and a scalloped black cape in the shape of a bat's wings. It's the Batman! The Batman strikes with a fierce right hook, knocking out the accomplice. He then grabs the murderer in a headlock and throws him off the roof to the ground below. He picks up the paper that the murderer had stolen from the safe and leaps off into the night as Gordon and several officers, who had just arrived on scene, yell in vain for him to stop. Crane's butler tells Gordon that Crane had been murdered, and Gordon surmises that the other two partners, Rogers and Stryker, are likely targets as well, and heads to Rogers. In a car, traveling to an unknown destination, the Batman looks at the paper stolen from the safe and smiles a grim smile. Meanwhile, Rogers has learned of Lambert's death from a news report and has gone to see Stryker. He is greeted at the door by Stryker's assistant, Jennings, who invites him in and then when Rogers' back is turned, knocks him unconscious with a blackjack. When Rogers revives, he is in Stryker's basement being tied up by Jennings. Jennings raves that there's only one more to do away with, and soon, soon, he will be in control of everything. He, ex- he exposits to Rogers that the large dome looming above him is a gas chamber used to kill guinea pigs for experiments, but now Rogers will be the guinea pig. Jennings flips a switch, and the dome begins to lower, when suddenly, through an open transom, in leaps the Batman. The Batman grabs a conveniently left wrench from a nearby table and leaps under the dome just before it lowers to the ground, trapping both himself and Rogers underneath. After plugging the gas jet with a handkerchief, the Batman uses the wrench to smash the dome, freeing both himself and Rogers. Hearing all the commotion, Jennings returns and pulls a gun, but the Batman delivers a flying tackle and cold cocks him. Also alerted to the commotion was Alfred Stryker, who has rushed to the laboratory, where he is confronted by Rogers, who informs him that Stryker's assistant Jennings had tried to kill him. Stryker expresses his disappointment that he didn't succeed and lunges at Rogers with a knife. But the Batman leaps from the shadows, grabbing Stryker and causing him to drop the knife. Rogers asks why Stryker tried to kill him, and the Batman explains that it was Stryker who was behind the murders. It seems that Strykers, Rogers, and the other two men were all partners in the ownership of Apex Chemical. Stryker wants to become the sole owner of the corporation, so he made deals with the other three that he would pay them a certain amount of money every year until he had paid off their shares. He further figured that by just killing the men and stealing the contracts, he would own the business free and clear. Rogers admits that it was a clever idea because no one but the four of them knew of the arrangement, but he asks how Batman figured it all out, and the Batman explains that he learned when he grabbed the contract from the man that killed Crane. Just then, Stryker breaks free from the Batman's grasp and tries to pull a gun, but the Batman delivers a swift left hook, knocking Stryker backwards into a vat of acid. The Batman remarks that the fate is a fitting end for his kind, but before Rogers can respond, the Batman has leapt through the transom above and into the shadows of the night. The next day, Commissioner Gordon is again visited by his old friend Bruce Wayne, and the Commissioner relates to him the story of Stryker's plot and the Batman's involvement. After Bruce leaves, Gordon remarks that Wayne is a nice young chap, but must lead a boring life because he always seems so aloof. Bruce returns home and retires to his room. A little later, the door opens, and as the room's occupant is revealed, the narration box reads, 
If the commissioner could see his young friend now, he'd be amazed to learn that he is the Batman. <laughs> awesome. Awesome, yes. Very cool story. Yes. I liked it quite a bit. Um, more so than I actually thought I would, to be honest with you, because at least based on, I mean, listening to your your Golden Age Superman podcast, uh-huh. it, it, it took a while to get the ball rolling on that guy, in my opinion. Yeah, the um, the first story was good, but then there was just a lot of uh, clunkers in there. Mm-hmm. Um, and it seems like this one kind of was on the right foot from the beginning. I mean, maybe that'll change next issue, but but for right I, now, we have Batman's you know basic elements here. I think right, and, and it yeah, works. it's just for uh, yeah, and it's only six pages, mm-hmm. and it's I mean, it's got you know action and some mystery, and you know, it's, it's just very impressive for only six pages. So. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Uh, do you want to start with the page by page? Sure. Okay. So, um, just a little note I have here that it, that um, it was signed Robert Kane, not Bob Kane. Mm-hmm. Um, R O B apostrophe T Kane, and I don't know when that's going to change, but I am glancing ahead. It looks like it changes in just a couple issues. So. Yeah, and originally his name Spoiler. was, I think, Robert Kahn. So he's already changed it to Kane, at least at this point. Um, he he took a page, or maybe Stanley took a page from him, changed their heavily Jewish name to something a little more Americanized. Know, Americanized, I guess. Yeah. But he went with Robert on this one, so I just thought that was interesting. Yeah. Um, but his his name is Robert, right? Yeah. I mean, right. Okay. But I he guess just changed his last name. Right. He just changed his last name, but eventually right. everybody knows him as Bob. So. Yeah. I don't know when he gets less official. <laughs> why he did that, but. Well, it was the the same way on the Superman stories. Uh, mm. Jerry signed as Jerome for the first, you know, yeah, eight or so. It was probably just to make him, you know, seem older. I wonder if these, he they were all teenagers. I wonder if he changed it to Bob just to so it fits in that box that he likes to sign in. It could be. Yeah, it's a little shorter. He didn't have yeah. to abbreviate it. Yeah, I don't know. Anyway, um, first Batman silhouette, page one. Oh yeah. I'm trying to keep track of first here just for fun. Um, and then also just a note, I think we've already said this, but throughout this whole issue, it's bat hyphen man, not Batman. Yeah. I had a note about that too. And, and Batman is in quotes. Yeah. Every it's time. Thing. Yeah. Like, like it's not his official name. It's just what people call him. Yeah. Hey, there's that Batman guy. Of course he's dressed up like a bat. What else are you going to call him? So. Yeah. Well, Maybe he called himself the Dark Avenger, and he just couldn't get that to stick. <laughs> uh-huh. It's like, damn it, they keep calling me Batman. <laughs> I am the Flying Rodent. Yeah. Um, uh, Bruce Wayne's first appearance. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the, the socialite, as we know him only so far. We don't know what that means, other than we can assume he is wealthy enough to do nothing all day. That's why he's still bored. That's why he's so bored. Um, and according to Bill Finger, he the name Bruce Wayne came from Robert Bruce, the Scottish patriot, and patriot, and uh, a guy named Mad Mad Anthony Wayne, who was a U.S. general in the 1700s. Huh. I don't know if he was Finger was just a fan of those two men or what specifically he was looking for from that, but that's kind of interesting. And it's also Commissioner Gordon's first appearance. Yes. It, um, no first name, but... Right. 
I was actually I looked a little bit online a uh, day or so ago to see if I could find when he first got his name, but I couldn't find anything on it. So I guess we'll, we'll find have out. to keep an eye out for that. Yeah. Um. Yeah, that's kind of interesting. Uh, I hate to keep talking about Superman on a Batman podcast, but hey, that kind of ranks. He's him. the only other character to compare him to right now, so right. right. Yeah, works. that ranks him up there with Lois Lane as far as supporting characters go, because Lois Lane appeared in that first issue as well, along with Superman. Yeah, so, so Batman's love interest is Commissioner Gordon. <laughs> I'm confused. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> they do have a good relationship, though. Yes, they uh, they seem, you know. He brings him to a crime scene for crying out loud, you know. Yeah, that is a little weird, isn't it? Yeah. Like this guy is half his age, and you know, <laughs> apparently wealthy and good looking, and he hangs out with him all day. Yeah. Because he's bored, and, and Commissioner <laughs> Gordon, a you know, a member of the police department, can't figure this. <laughs> None of that is suspect. I must be very interesting, you know. <laughs> Um, oh. oh, and I just wanted to point out that both of them are, are smoking in this issue too, and I know that's a staple of the golden age, but I always yeah. find that I always find that hilarious when everybody's smoking. I noticed that on the last page because Bruce has got it. Well, it's here on the first page too, but yeah, Bruce got Bruce has got a pipe, and then Gordon lights a cigar, and mm-hmm. uh, the yeah. only note really I had for this first page, uh, other than Bruce going to the murder, murder scene, was that. Gordon's conversation on the phone is really repetitive. If you think of the other end of the conversation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought so, about it. it's 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 you know exposition, but. Yeah, yeah. What's that, Lassie? <laughs> fell down the well, you know. Um, I also just want to point out, and we could talk about it more as we go through, but just want to point out that the car they're driving, Bruce and and Gordon, to the crime scene is a red. I don't know what. I'm afraid I'm not very good with sedan. Okay, sedan. Let's just call it yeah. that. Yeah. So it's a red sedan. We'll see the history of these cars as we keep going. But mm-hmm. and this car shows up again in this issue. In a yeah. Very conspicuous spot. So it yeah. made it. It might. I think it's supposed to be the same car. Uh, I think it is. Yeah. We might as well go ahead and talk about it. Okay. The the car that Batman drives when he leaves um, Crane's house. Right. Is a red sedan. Right. So he's basically driving Bruce Wayne's car. And the car that. Commissioner Gordon pulls up in when he almost catches the Batman as a blue sedan. So, obviously, this okay. first car is Bruce's car. Um, that's weird. I'm looking at the reprint here in the Chronicles edition, and it's, it's green in that. Oh, well, this is... Maybe it's supposed to be green. I don't know. But it's not red. Yeah. Even though they all look like the same car to me. But... <laughs> well, they didn't have a lot of... So, essentially, what we're saying is the Batman drives around in the same car as Bruce Wayne. <laughs> right. Okay. Just to be clear. <laughs> and his, his, his brilliant police commissioner friend can't figure that out. So no, maybe they've never seen Batman driving. I don't know. But. Well, that's fair because he did the uh, the one time he saw him in this issue, he was leaping off a rooftop. So Yeah. So, But still, it's kind of a – it's like to me if I was trying to keep my identity, maybe step one, buy a different car for <laughs> – Yeah, if you're so rich. yeah, Driving around as Batman. But hey, whatever. Um. But page three, did Batman kill that guy when he threw him off the roof? That's what I was wondering. You see and what him? happened to the other guy for that matter? But Oh, you do see the one guy. Yeah, he's, he's just laying there on the roof. Apparently the police maybe got him down. or. Yeah. I love this uh, opening shot of Batman, though. It's great. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, it, that's the first time we actually see him. Yeah, and it's very much like how they would do it now, you know? Uh, right. 
bad guys minding their own business, thinking to get away <laughs> with something, and then they turn around and there's this, you know, freaky guy in an outfit. Right. And he's, and then he instantly goes to work and knocks out the first guy. And you're right. I think he tosses the second guy off the roof. It says he tosses him so far that it's like the criminal. He sends the criminal flying through space, which I'm sure <laughs> it's not literal, but. Well, yeah. But, and then two pounds later, you see him laying there on the ground. Oh yeah. Face down. Looks yeah, like. I, I think he did. So. so that guy could either be dead or seriously injured. <laughs> okay. Um. But that's not the worst thing the Batman does in this issue. So. No. So you kind of talked about it a little bit, but should we talk about maybe the how he looks compared to you know? Yeah, since we, standards. Since this is the first time we've seen him. Yeah. Yeah. So he's got. Um, his ears, I don't know how to describe it. They're lower than they usually are. Usually they come like right out of the top of his head, it seems like. Yeah. These okay. are actually yeah, coming from his ear. If you are familiar with you know, the typical look of Batman, mm-hmm. which I would say everyone is, Yeah. Um, the ears here, I, I always want to call them horns, but I guess they are ears. But um, they do come out more, you know, just kind of poke right out the side of his head. Uh, mm-hmm. It makes his face look wider. Yeah, not really like the Adam West costume, but no, no, no. Sort of uh, halfway between that and the the normal look, I would say. Mm-hmm. Um, and they kind of point outwards too, as opposed to straight up. Yeah. Which, yeah, it's fun. It's kind of weird looking, but like if you look at this profile on the last, the second to the last panel on this page, you could uh-huh. skip. I mean, they're really just coming right from his ear. Yeah. As opposed to how they do now, where it comes out of his head. Right. Um, and it changes the whole shape of his head. Yeah. It, from what we're normally used to. It does. Uh, changes the silhouette, changes everything, really. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he's got little purple mittens. No, I'm just kidding. He's got purple, <laughs> purple gloves that go to his wrist instead of, you know, the same colored gloves that go to up to his forearm. Uh, he doesn't have those spikes coming out or whatever they call right. them fins spikes, uh, spikes is more manly spikes is more manly so so is horns but you know yeah, yeah. Um, if you go back to the ears for a minute if you uh-huh. look at an act these are more like an actual bat's ears yeah if you for sure look at a if you you know do a google image search for a bat yeah all this i mean even the wing i mean the wings the cape oh, and everything i love these wings yeah i mean they were really trying for yeah. That look where later they kind of just stylize him and mm-hmm. simplify him. Um, but yeah, the wing, the wings. See, I call it wings again. The cape. Yeah. It looks well, they kinda, look like wings here. Yeah. Like uh, to jump ahead a panel or a page, when he jumps through the transom and it flares out, mm-hmm. they really do look like wings. They're like bisected or I'm yeah. not sure what the right word is, but it, it does seem like they when when it's just laying flat, there it's a cape, but then when he... When they fly open, it looks like two separate wings. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It kind of reminds me of um, the whole Batman Begin thing, where they, you know, he shoots electricity through his cape and it they turn rigid. Okay. Um, it's been a while since I've seen that, but yeah, I remember. It reminds me of the 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 flying machine from Da Vinci, which. Yes, very which, much. Which is yes. what uh, I think Bob Kane modeled it after, so that makes sense. When not to interrupt, but when you were doing your research about the history, mm-hmm. did you find much about who designed the costume? I mean, was it all Kane or was it? I think it was all did Finger. Finger have input. Oh, Finger designed it. Okay. From what I, 
understand. And again, this it would take Batman to figure out this mystery. But um, from what I understand, Bob Kane saw Superman and said, "Okay, we got a dark-haired guy clad in blue, so I'm going to make a blonde clad in red, and then I'm going to put wings on him and call him Wingman or Birdman." Um, That's scary. And then he took that to Finger, who was more of a fan of like the Shadow and the Phantom. Mm-hmm. And so he's like, "Why don't we darken this guy up a little bit?" Especially if they were doing this for Detective Comics, um, instead of you know bird, let's make him a bat, and let's give him a cow like the Phantom and no eyes like the Phantom, and you know change his suit from red to gray. And then I think there was even some story about how Finger had a, a, a encyclopedia or, or a Webster's dictionary that had a picture of a bat spread out in it. Hmm. So that's kind of where they went with the cape and the ears. They saw that a bat had ears, so they put him on his cow. Okay. Anyway, that's my understanding. According to Kane, of course, that's not true, but. <laughs> well. Um, yeah. But anyway. Did you know? While we're talking about the costume, did you notice the belt is different inside than it is on the cover? No, I on, didn't. On the cover, it's just a big square buckle, but on the inside, it's a round. Wow. See, that was one of my on my notes here about the differences is that it's a round buckle because later it becomes square right. usually. Usually. Usually, yeah. Um, so yeah, that's funny that the the cover is is more like what it's going to be. I'm jumping ahead here. It looks like it becomes square pretty quickly. Yeah. As far as the history stuff goes, so. Speaking of cover, let's jump back a little bit because I wanted to just maybe point out that it seems to me like I was just thinking, and I don't know, you're the Superman guy, but Superman or action comics. Number seven was the next issue where Superman was on the cover, right? After the first one. Oh, you're putting me on the spot, Kaiser. (laughs) Sorry. I've been, I I know it is because I just listened to that episode of yours. Okay. As we record this, that was your most recent episode. Yes, it was. Yes, it was that. Yeah. That was the one with the scene. Yeah, so, with he, where he's caught carrying a guy by his foot that happened way back in the first and, issue. And yeah. how is he carrying him? He's carrying him across the city uh-huh. on top of buildings. Wow, you're you absolutely think, right. I don't know how long it takes to get these things produced, but do you think when they were developing Batman that they looked back on that cover? What's Superman doing right now? Let's see if we can make Batman do the same thing. Let's see. That was cover date December, so there would be about a five months. You know, I, I wouldn't at all doubt that. I'm not or saying maybe that was the last Superman they could look at. It could be. I don't know if he continued to not be on the cover after that. or. Uh, see, he was on 7, and then he was on 9. So they could have looked at 9. But anyway. No, he wasn't on 9. He was on 7, and then he wasn't on again until 10. So, so, yeah. So there you go. So maybe they – I'm not saying they did, but it just seems like it reminded me of that cover. Yeah. Since I happened to be looking at that, listening to your podcast. That up. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the only other thing I see is the the logo, and I'm not sure if it's true or not. It's just hard to tell because it's it's very small. The logo on his chest is very small and not well detailed, so it doesn't seem like it has any ears like it usually should. Yeah, I noticed that just a bit ago. Uh, and it's hard to count, but it seems like there's more scallops than there usually are. But I can't really say because it seems like those change from panel to panel. Yeah. The... It kind of seems like an afterthought. Like, let's just scribble a little... <laughs> Mustache-looking bat figure on his, <laughs> on his chest. There's really, I guess there's a couple good shots of the symbol, but you're right. There's no um, there's no head or ears on the bat on his chest. But considering how how um, 
how big it gets later in his life. You know, it, uh-huh. it covers his entire chest or it's circled with the yellow circle or whatever. This seems really tiny. Like you said, it looks like an afterthought. Yeah, much like Superman's S when they first started, you know, just a squiggle yeah. here and there. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I also just wanted to point out that I, I really like how it's his cape and is black on the outside and blue on the inside. Yes, I love uh, that too. And I actually was kind of surprised to see that because I thought that was more of a modern invention. Like with uh, when they had the new Robin, you know, Tim Drake takeover, he had a black cape with the yellow interior. And yellow on the inside, yeah. Yeah, and then they started doing that with Batman on like that cartoon, The Batman, and uh, in Justice League Unlimited. And I didn't realize that was a, a Golden Age invention. I think that's pretty cool. I've always liked that idea. Yeah. That he could be, you know, he could have some color if he wants to, or he can just disappear. Wrap himself up in the, yeah, that looks yeah. really cool. So, yeah. As far as the actual page goes, I really like the, the fight scene here, other than the fact that he killed that guy. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, 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 it's more action than I'm used to with the Superman. Mm-hmm. Usually he just kind of picks a guy up and throws him, but here we have two people actually fighting. Yeah. All through this issue, there's, you know, yeah. punches being thrown and... It's not just Batman punching and he, people. So. And he, he takes him out like pretty effectively in, in every instance in this book. Oh, yeah. I mean, he doesn't mess like, around. Yeah, it's like he lashes out, punch, pow, down. Right. So that's pretty fun. Thank you for not saying Biff suck, pow. No. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, so in your note, I mean, I'm sorry, in your synopsis, you actually answered one of my questions on uh, the next page here. Uh-huh. Page four, I didn't know what that thing was called that uh, Jennings used to knock out Rogers with. Right. What'd you call it's it? A, it's a blackjack. Yeah. And I, only, and I only know that because I read future issues of Detective Comics <sighs> where, where they repeatedly call it a blackjack. Okay. So, and that's how I learned what a blackjack was. Yeah, other, I wrote that. Other I, than a card play. I wrote that down because I just am always. Uh, kind of fascinated by those things because it's just a, such a staple of like the 40s. Uh-huh. Like the thug always pulls one of those out to no- pulls one of those out to knock somebody out, and uh, you know you don't see that anymore. No. No one uses those things now. I don't know what happened. It's basically just like a leather a leather club. Mm-hmm. And the ones I've I kind of did some googling while ago, and uh, the ones I saw pictures of there were bigger, but in the comics they're always smaller. So I don't know if they make different sized ones or. I'm not a weapons guy, but yeah, maybe, maybe, you know, they came up with some better idea like a gun or something, but <laughs> yeah, but it seemed like it was heavy in use back in the day. Mm-hmm. It's a very, uh, maybe it's just a thug stereotype. I don't know. <laughs> Could be. Yeah. But lots going on here with page four. Yeah, there is. Uh, <laughs> I, <laughs> my, uh, question was what did Batman jump through to get into the room? Yeah. It says it's a transom, but the panel before, or a few panels before, it says they're in a basement. Basement of the laboratory, yeah. Right. And normally when someone says transom, I think of like the windows above a door. Well, that's what it looks like. But this looks like a skylight. Or, yeah. it. And when he leaves, he goes to the same place. and it, Right. It and goes right out to see, the... You can see buildings and stuff, so that's leading to the outside, so I don't see how they're in the basement. I don't know. And and it gets even worse on the next page, which we'll get to in just a minute. But. And why, for that matter, why does the basement of the chemical laboratory have all the laboratory 
stuff in it. Yeah. It's just, just where they store it or Yeah. This yeah. whole actually your another thing your synopsis kinda pointed out to me, or maybe I'm reading too much into it, but is Jennings saying that after he kills Rogers, he's gonna go kill the other guy? That's kind of what I read into it, yeah. Yeah, I didn't realize that before. Because he's tying up um, Rogers, yeah, and then the other two are already dead, so that just leaves Stryker. And he says, one more out of the way, and soon I'll control everything. Yeah, so that's crazy. How's he he going to do that? And then he goes into his exposition about the gas chamber uh, big enough to hold two full-grown men that's used to kill guinea pigs. Yeah, so there's that. That's one of my questions is, does he put a hell of a lot of guinea pigs in there? Or or does he just call his victims guinea pigs? Or Well, he says it's used to kill guinea, pig, guinea pigs to experiment on. Okay, but so now you are the guinea pig. So is that a, a condoned experiment from this chemical plant? Or is that his own personal <laughs> I'm crazy experiment? They don't really go into what these guys do for a living. Yeah. Other than it's a chemical Chemical plant. Uh, chemical plant. Yeah. And I don't know of a chemical plant that goes around killing guinea pigs just for fun, but I haven't done any research on it. Yeah, usually they put the let the chemicals do that. Or yeah. And then, oh, if you notice... Not, not kill them, but they, you know... After Jenny, Jennings ties him up, what does he do? He goes downstairs. <laughs> You're I, thought right. they, I thought they were already <laughs> in the basement. I totally missed that. He is going downstairs yeah. from the basement. So apparently wow. that's not the basement. Apparently not. That's a... Obviously, that Maybe caption's just wrong. Yeah, yeah. It's They're in the laboratory, and then the basement's below that. It, it makes more sense. A little bit, yeah. But there's still the next the next page, which doesn't really make sense. No. But, but well, anyway. Close enough. Um, I, I liked that uh, Batman slid underneath the dome uh-huh. and then smashed his way out. Yep. Because if I was writing it, I would have had just Batman smash the dome, but that would have, you know, sent the glass all over Rogers and still left the gas problem. So I thought that was pretty ingenious of finger. Yeah. And it made for a more dynamic, um, sequence, dynamic sequence rather than Batman just standing there going, okay, well, here's a wrench. I guess I can just (laughs) hit the glass with it. Yeah. But no, he, he slides under that sucker and then he quickly, uh, what's it say? He uses a handkerchief to plug the glass or the gas. Uh huh. And then smashes him out. It's pretty, you know, pretty dynamic. When I was, when I was, when I read this the first time and then read it again to do my synopsis, I missed that he picked up the the wrench off the table. Mm-hmm. And I had a whole joke written about, you know, Batman pulling out his bat wrench from his utility belt. And but then I was looking over it again. I saw he that it says he pulled the wrench off the table. So makes you wonder what he would have done if there was no wrench there on the table. <laughs> you have other options, or yeah, I, yeah, he would have had to. I had the same thought as you as I was wondering I was wondering why he didn't just pick up the wrench and smash the you know the cylinder but my idea was that he just put himself in the same fate as that guy so if he can't get him out then he's going to die too but then I started thinking about it more and it's like yeah you're right it probably just would have you know killed the guy to right. have all that glass flying in his face so yeah he's not as heroic as I thought never mind <laughs> oh on page 5 Mm-hmm. What happens to Jennings after Batman clobbers him? We see well, him laying unconscious, but then we never see him again after that. True, but we also don't ever see that part of the room again, so maybe he's still laying there. Yeah, it could be. I yeah. don't know. I mean, he's there up until halfway through the page. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, That's we just... right, because the camera turns around. Yeah, exactly. 
And apparently, um, Stryker wasn't in on the idea that Jennings was going to kill him because he seemed upset that Jennings didn't finish what he was supposed to do. Right. Um, it, I think Jennings was going to kill Rogers and then turn on Stryker and kill him too, and then he would own everything. Which I'm still not sure how, because if it's all written down, I don't think Jennings was written. Well, it. it could be that Stryker had some sort of will or could be something that left everything to his manservant. I should I should I accidentally die in the guinea pig tester? <laughs> leave, <laughs> leave, <laughs> leave everything to Jennings. Yeah, <laughs> he's a nice boy. Yeah. Uh, so speaking of this takedown, though, there's two takedowns on this page. Page uh, five here. Yeah. Um, I like the second one because he just seems to grab the guy's hand and like break it or you know put a nerve pinch move on him. But I kind of wanted to point out that not in any one of these fights does Batman actually use you know any sort of martial arts like he's so known for. No, it's just you know, pretty much tackle and and punch. Right, because I don't think the United States cared about martial arts at this point in history. No, probably not. So given that we were only. You know, three or four years away uh, away from bombing Japan. So yeah, I'm not I'm not sure when that when that started becoming prevalent, but I was thinking 60s. But well, the kung fu stuff was in the 70s, wasn't it? The big kung yeah. fu craze. Yeah, I don't know. I thought I thought I could be wrong, but I thought Bruce Lee, you know, ushered in. Oh yeah, I forgot about him. You know, popularizing that in the and I don't before that I don't know if it was used in the military at all. I couldn't tell. You. I don't know. I've heard that maybe they use judo, but I I don't know. But yeah, you're, it seems like he's boxing and wrestling here pretty much. But it's pretty cool. Yes, just you know, very good fight sequences through this mm-hmm. whole. Yeah, he just slams into everybody. Yeah. And then page. Oh, hold on. Six. Oh. One second. Very important. Page five. Batman solves his first case. Oh yes, he does. There you go. Just wanted to say that. Another first, <laughs> first appearance. Uh, okay, page six. Huh? Batman kills a guy. First appearance, first killing, maybe second killing. Okay, so I have a question. Do you think he meant for that guy to go through the railing, or do you think the railing just gave way and he was cool with it? You know. It, Given that Batman threw a guy off the roof two pages earlier, yeah, I would say he meant to do it, but yeah, but uh, you could interpret it either way. But it doesn't seem like he cares, so let's just say he did it. It's a fitting in for his kind, mm-hmm. isn't it? Yeah, I like how he just shuts the guy up, though. I, I thought that was pretty funny. Suck. Yeah. He's, yeah, he's like, Striker's just going crazy. Like you're never gonna take me alive, see? And then like mid sentence, just boom, uh-huh. <laughs> knocks him right in the head, and he falls and dies. As the gun goes off. So it's like, yeah, I guess we are going to take you. Um, <laughs> sorry, Striker. You're totally wrong. We're going to take you a lot. Oh, sorry. Notice, notice Batman's ears disappear on the second panel there. I don't know. Yeah, they do. Just an angle thing? or Is that – I wonder if that's a reprint thing. Let me pull up. Well, it could be because his ears don't go past the top of his head yet. So maybe yet. when you when you look on the – from a side point of view, you just can't see him. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It looks funny. Yeah, it looks like it's just a normal cowl, like a uh, like what's his name? Uh, Tim Drake wears today as Red Robin or whatever he is. Yeah. Uh, 
But yeah, it's not very Batman-y. But see, it shows it purposely shows like the railing is breaking, and then it has this guy. Uh, what's his name? I keep forgetting their names, but the one who actually survived, Crane. Rogers. Yeah, Rogers saying. Yeah, Crane. You know, Crane's the one that got shot. Right, Rogers saying, uh, you know, he's falling right into the acid tank like that wasn't the plan. <laughs> so well, I don't it know. wasn't. It wasn't Rogers' plan. It was Batman. That's plan. true. Yeah. Yeah, I'd say he was pretty cold-blooded about it, regardless of whether it was on purpose or not. Yeah. Um, and then also, first appearance of Batman disappearing on somebody mid-sentence. <laughs> mm-hmm. thought that was cool. How can we ever think, oh, he's gone. Yeah. So. What happened to him? But I like that that was there from the beginning, mm-hmm. because it's become such a staple oh. of the Batman mythology that he just disappears. Oh, yeah. Mid-sentence. I mean, they really played that up in, uh, for me anyway, when I first started encountering it, was in uh, Batman the Animated Series. Uh-huh. You know, he seemed to disappear all the time. That was kind of like the joke. Yeah. But yeah, he's done that in lots of places. So yeah, it's cool to see that he did it right off the bat. Although in this case, you can actually see him leaving. But Well, yeah. But still. But that's, just, that's just for the reader. Right. You know, I don't know if... Uh... Rogers I, can see him from that angle. But. I guess if you couldn't see him, the reader might assume he could turn invisible. or <laughs> <laughs> Right. Or yes. something. Or he was a ghost. Um, yeah, so... And then at the end, we we learn that... I can't believe it, but Bruce Wayne is really Bat-Man. No. Yeah. <sighs> Amazing, huh? Spoiler alert! You just for, ruined it for everybody who hasn't ever heard of Batman. I know. Sorry, guys. I should have... <laughs> Warned you all first, but um, all episodes of Legends of the Batman will contain spoilers. Listener discretion is advised. Yeah, exactly. First appearance I, of a uh, Wayne Manor too. If we're adding first appearances, or a door of it, I guess. Yeah, just a door, an unnamed door, but we assume that's his house. Yeah. Uh, kidding aside, though, I love that they kept his uh, identity a mystery mm-hmm. until the very last panel, mm-hmm. and I kind of wonder, you know, what would have been like if. Finger had either more pages in this story or would have carried that forward a couple more stories just yeah. to drag out the mystery. You know. I also wondered as I was reading it if there is anybody alive to this, you know, right now that actually remembers reading that when it first came out. Oh, probably. And yeah. and were they surprised? I would love to know <laughs> if they were surprised because this is all geared towards kids, so you never know. Yeah. They could have not oh, yeah. saw it coming. Yeah. So if you were listening to, reading this in 1939, send us an email. Let us know. In 1938? 1939, you mean? Yeah. Oh, okay. Did I say 38? No, I, I said 39. I think you said 79, but oh, maybe I just misunderstood you. Well, if you were reading this in 79 and were surprised, <laughs> yeah. let us know anyway. If, so you've, can... if you've ever read this and were surprised, <laughs> let us know. <laughs> uh, uh, I, I really like this whole issue, though, and I think – if I would have picked this up off the stands as an eight-year-old kid in 1939, I would have wanted more, and I would have went back and bought the next issue if I had a bright, shiny dime in my pocket. Absolutely. So. I actually think, I mean, by Golden Age standards, I think the artwork was you know, phenomenal, really, um, especially compared to the other, other artwork in, this, in these other stories in this issue, for instance. But, I mean, it's pretty clear and dynamic, and yeah, it's good stuff. It's better than I thought it would be. I don't know why. I didn't. I didn't realize you, it. You had read this story before. You've read several of these. You're not just coming into these blind. No, no. Right? Okay. I, I, I have. So. Yeah. 
but it's been a while. Okay. So it was fun to go. And, you know, when I read them before, I wasn't examining them as closely as I am now. So not the same appreciation value level, right. I guess. And I think I enjoyed this story more getting into it and tearing it apart for the podcast, which is mm-hmm. rare because usually, at least so far with the Superman stories, they don't – they haven't really been holding up as well. I mean I still oh. enjoy them, but once I tear into them, they – you know, I, almost, I nitpick them. You start making best. fun of them, yeah. Yeah. And there's plenty to make fun of here, but still, I think I actually enjoyed this more when I actually sat down and really, really studied it and really read it. Yeah, I agree. I liked it quite a bit. I thought it held up pretty good. And like I already said, I think it it has all the elements of you know a bare bones Batman that we've mm-hmm. all come to expect. So, which was one nice. um, one further observation that I had, and mm-hmm. comparing it back to Superman again. Is or at least early the early Superman stories is n- no one really seems surprised to see a guy in a bat costume. Well, yeah, I they mean, seem scared. Like, scared, yeah, but they I seem guess. to recognize him. And I mean, uh, when he confronts the two guys on the roof, they say the Batman. You know, yeah, not, exactly. this guy or so that's what I was I was just thinking is maybe I don't know how long he's been active at this point, but clearly everybody knows who he is. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, in the very on the first page, Commissioner Gordon's saying something like, "Everything's great except for this whole Batman thing. Like it's a new thing that he has to deal with." Right. So He's maybe not, uh, maybe legend spreads fast. We don't know his origin yet, but he's no. clearly been active active long enough that people have gotten well wind of him. For all we know, he's he's patrolling in a you know population of a thousand people. We don't even know where he. What oh, city that's this right. is? Or... I had a note about that too. That Gotham City wasn't even named. No city was named. We don't know no anything city. about. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's a ten-block place, and you know, word travels. Yeah. Population but on the other hand, 100. he's um, Commissioner Gordon is a commissioner, and I don't think you need a commissioner if you know, unless you're a really big no. city. Because yeah, I. That's a good point. From what I understand, a commissioner, and I could be wrong, but isn't isn't just a you know, the head of a certain district. I mean, he, he's like the facilitator between every district and, and the, you know, mayor. So, mm-hmm. so that would suggest that this is a pretty big place that he's, he's working in. Yeah. Uh, this story has been reprinted several times. Mm-hmm. Um, two of them are famous first edition C28 and detective comics, number 27 millennium edition. And both of those reprint the full contents of Detective Comics number 27, which I think uh, Mike's going to go over that in a little bit. But other reprints include Detective Comics number 387, Batman from the 30s to the 70s hardcover, Batman Archives Volume 1, Batman in the 40s trade paperback, and the Batman Chronicles Volume 1 trade paperback. And it was also in reprinted in Detective Comics number 627 from 1991. And that story had a painted cover by Norm Brayfogle that was an homage to the cover of Detective Comics number 27. And inside that book, they reprinted this story, and then they also reprinted a story from Detective Comics number 387. Uh, It was written by Mike Friedrich with art by Bob Brown and Joe Gaella, and it was entitled The Cry of the Night is Kill. And that was a pretty straightforward retelling of uh, of this story, but it was reworked a little bit to take into account Batman's new, well, then new 
sketchier relationship with the police, as well as the fact that Robin was there as well. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I guess that's considered the Earth One version, where this would be the Earth Two version, maybe. Looking according at it from to the modern age. According to uh, a great website called Mike's Amazing World of DC. Uh huh. Um, this is Earth Two Batman. Okay. At least as he as he does it, but I think you know there's people who argue that it's not. So I don't know. I'll leave that to other people. <laughs> it's all Batman to us. Yeah. There were two other stories in that book um, that were also retellings or, or redone versions of this Batman, this first Batman story. One was by Marv Wolfman, Jim Oparo, and Mike DiCarlo, and the other was by Alan Grant, Norm Brayfogle, and Steve Mitchell, who were the regular creative teams on Batman and Detective Comics at that time. And they both changed the story more, but we're not really going to get into those because eventually we'll be going over those you know, in a decade or so for the show. <laughs> after but, um, our retirement, yeah. After our retirement, yeah. But, um, but yeah, I, I, I need to track down that issue at some point. And don't forget the Four Oreo versions. the Oreo cookie giveaway in 1984. The Oreo cookie giveaway. I don't know what that, that means. I have no idea. Oh, okay. I just found it on the internet. Okay. I assume they packaged Oreo cookies with a copy of Detective Comics number 27, and I don't know cool. why. Yeah. We like maybe, Oreos. So. Maybe 1984. I have no idea why then. Not even the movie came out at that point. I don't know. So, other, uh, like all Golden Age stories of this, or comic books of this time, they were generally anthologies. So, as as the case of the Chemical Syndicate was only six pages, we actually have a lot more, um, many more stories in here to, to fill up the rest of the issue. So, I'm going to go over those really quick. Um... I don't want to get too much into it because Batman's not in it. So what do we care? But just for the heck, just for the heck of it, um, on the inter- on the interior cover is a is a a little a weird black and white thing called Crime Never Pays, and it has just various panels that are, you know, they're not. It's not a story necessarily. It's just individual panels, but they're all the same subject, which is basically if you do a crime, the police are going to catch you. Hmm. You know, like here's how just they just kind do- of a filler type of deal. I guess it's because it's Detective Comics. Maybe they wanted to talk about how the police use forensics and science to catch bad guys. Oh, okay. I don't know. But I found that kind of interesting. And then, okay, so then we have the case of the Chemical Syndicate, which we already talked about. Best best story in the book. Uh, the second story is a one-page comic strip by Charles Biro called Tenderfoot. And it's about a Boy Scout looking to do a good deed. Did I say comic book? I meant, like, you know, it's funny. Uh, a Boy Scout looking to do a good deed tries to help a kid find his way home and ends up getting them both lost. Ha ha ha. <laughs> and at the bottom is a is a mail-in ad for um, you can get your very own Rosati accordion catalog. <laughs> yes. All you have to do is mail in this little coupon. Wait, just a catalog? Yeah. Oh, so you have to buy the catalog and then. Um, I guess you send in coupons. AKA, you cut out this piece of paper and therefore make Detective Comics 27 a very valuable book in the future. That's right. And you send that away for free and they give you a catalog, and then from there, I assume you pay them for their awesome accordions. <laughs> but I, was, I thought that was pretty cool. I was wondering if you could get an accordion catalog today. <laughs> it's probably all on the internet now. So. Yeah. 
Okay, story three. The Killers of Kurdistan. Six pages by Gardner Fox and Fred Gardiner. Gardiner, uh-huh. Um, and by the way, I, I started realizing that since I'm doing this podcast, I actually have to start pronouncing comic book <laughs> related names out loud. I have run into that too, yeah, on mine. Uh, character names and creator names that I've never had to actually figure out how to pronounce before. So, yeah. Interesting. Anyway, Killers of Kurdistan was about Speed Saunders, ace investigator who attempts to track down the Killers of Kurdistan after a body is found with their Red Crescent Moon calling card. So, ooh. And story number four was called Bullet Bluff, also six pages by Homer Fleming. And it's about Buck Marshall, <laughs> ranger detective, <laughs> who attempts to track down the murderous terror after a body is found with a black cartridge calling card. <laughs> so Crazy. I don't know. That kind of sounds exactly like the last story. but I like the art in that one, though. Yeah, and it's kind of cool that it's a Western, but it's also a detective story. Yeah. Um, uh, story five was eventually called The Mysterious Murders. I think it originally was untitled and just got titled. All the, actually, all the rest of these are titled after the fact, just to, as an FYI, I think in various reprints or something. But anyway, it's called The Mysterious Murders by Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster, if you've ever heard of that. Six pages, and it's about Bart Regan, spy, who investigates the murders of members of a committee on un-American activity who were killed by an explosive capsule hidden in their bananas. <laughs> No, really, that's what it was about. Okay. So you can kind of get the idea that, yeah, like you said, these early episodes or issues of Action Comics were a little wonky too. But uh-huh. All right, story six, Murder on the Oceanic Line Dock, six pages by Jim Chambers. The, the Crimson Avenger investigates the murder of a man who welshed on a $100,000 bet. Um, and the Crimson Avenger is actually um, someone you just recently – Talked about in one of your podcasts. Not to plug you yes. shame. Not to plug you shamelessly. Not to but plug me shamelessly. Yeah. I'm mm-hmm. not sure if it was the latest episode seven or I the one before it. I think but, it was episode six. But tune into that because I actually found that to be very interesting. So that guy. Well, thank you. This guy has been around a while apparently. Um, he was the first uh, costumed hero at DC after Superman. Yeah, and it apparently still exists to some in some form or another. Or um, I think, you know, in current continuity, he's dead. But yeah, he's still considered a. They still acknowledge his existence. Right. Uh-huh. As well, opposed to. As far as you know, the last last time I heard, I haven't been reading a lot of modern comics lately. But well, longer uh, than these people that I'm going to be talking about here, anyway. Right. No yeah. one's talking about Buck Marshall or Bart Regan anymore. Unfortunately, no. Okay, story number seven, Death on the Airwaves. Inter- that was episode five of my show, by the way. Okay, great. Okay. Definitely. Sorry, go ahead. Story number seven, Death on the Airwaves, was – it's a two-page uh, prose piece because I guess – and again, here I go pretending I know history, but something about you had to have some sort of prose in your comic book or it couldn't be classified as – Right. Yeah, th- it was something to do with the uh, postal rates. Mm-hmm. They had to have um, so much, um, you know, actual text stuff, or they would have to pay a higher postal rate. Okay. So then that's what this this two pager is is all prose. There's a couple panels to you know accentuate what they're talking about, but it's mo- it's kind of like a pulp, I would think. But anyway, it's called Death in the Airwaves, and it's by. 
uh, Gardner Fox going as Paul Dean, and a guy, and there we go again, Fred Gardiner. And it's about Captain Byrne tracks down a revengeful killer who was once spurned at a radio audition. <laughs> so there's that. And then this one has two ads. To one was to buy a Daisy Air rifle at your local dealer for a dollar twenty-five. Wow. And the other was from Cromwell Publishing Company urging kids to sell their publications in return for big money and prizes. So essentially you I guess it's maybe like a pyramid scheme or something where you Yeah, they had a lot of those in these You old... get you get magazines from Cromwell and then you go around and try and sell them. Yeah. All sell right. grit. Story number eight, the New Orleans Mardi Gras murder. Six pages by Tom Hickey. Bruce Nelson visits a friend in New Orleans and helps him solve the murder of a woman killed by black magic. And of all these stories that I've been talking about, this is the only one that's to be continued, so I found that kind of interesting. Um, Did you see on that story on the third page, there's like a uh, – the two guys are sitting there talking, and then there's this big uh, bat silhouette yes. on the wall. That's kind of yes. interesting. And they were associating that with black magic and yeah. the devil. Yeah, it's and not Batman, but no, it's, it's it's just interesting that it would come up in the Batman. But it's also that also made me think of, you know, I've heard people talk about, you know, why Batman's so great, and that's one of the things. Is he's kind of a, he's a good guy wrapped up in a bad guy outfit, you know. I can see that. And so look, even back then they're associating bats with evil, and mm-hmm. so anyway, story number nine: the insidious Doctor Fu Manchu, four pages by Leo Omelia. Okay. Fu Manchu threatens... Well, Gre- huh? Uh, actually, it was just drawn by him. Uh, Sax Romer wrote him. Okay. Yeah. I didn't get that much, I guess. Uh, Fu Manchu threatens Griba Eltham in an attempt to keep her father, I think, Reverend Eltham, from visiting China. Unfortunately, I don't really know their relationship because they didn't go into it too much. But This uh, was... Uh, these were originally uh, reprints from newspaper right it was serialized and it had so, been running since i think uh 17 so you kind of already 17 you kind of have to already know who the characters are i guess and yeah they yeah, both had the it, same last name i just assumed they were father and daughter but okay i've never read wrong. it but it, it wraps up the, the last installment is in 28 so okay you're kind of reading the, the end of the story yeah wasn't my favorite but anyway um, story 10, untitled by one page by Paul Gustafson. And it's another comic, you know, funny haha thing where it's about a guy named Flatfoot Flanagan, who's a cop and his partner are called to stop a robbery, but Flatfoot lets them get away because while chasing them, he has to stop at a red light so as not to get a ticket. <laughs> it's like, okay. <laughs> exactly. Wacky hijinks ensue. Right. Uh, story 11 is called Illegal Aliens and it's six pages by Sven Elvin, who I think was also doing action comic stuff. I recognize that name. Okay. But anyway, Cosmo, a.k.a. the Phantom of Disguise, goes undercover to investigate how Chinese are being smuggled into America. Um, this was a, you know, kind of a creepy one. If you really, if you want to see some bad stereotyping, Golden Age style, definitely read that issue, or read that story. <laughs> it's, it's horrible. He dresses up as a Chinese and you know Chinese oh. guy and does the, all the dialect and the anyway. I think I'll skip that because I'm sure yeah. I get plenty of that when I get to the Superman stories. From exactly. The, yeah. Once the war hits. Mm-hmm. Okay, story twelve, also entitled Four Pages" by Russell Cole. Plainclothes, 
plane closed, Pete and his buddy Joe track down the hiding place of the notorious criminal Louis the Lou. Um, not much to that story, but I found it interesting that it was it was kind of drawn more like a you know comic style, like funny haha style, but it was an actual serious story. Hmm. I thought it was going to be a you know a comedy, a joke, but it ended up just being regular story. Anyway, story thirteen and last one, I swear, the murderer. <laughs> On it's had, vacation. It's had a lot of stuff in it. Yeah, it did. The Murder on Vacation, nine pages by Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster. Uh, Detective Slam Bradley and his sidekick, Shorty Morgan, head to Switzerland to track down a federal agent who disappeared hunting a fugitive. And that's it. The end of Detective Comics, 27. Cool. cool. Unless you want to look at all the ads in the back back cover. but <laughs> And there's quite a few. <clears throat> Just uh, one further note about that Slam Bradley story. Mm-hmm. It was nine pages. Uh, normally they were 13. Um, the Slam Bradley stories were 13, oh. so I don't well. know why it got cut down this issue. But um, I was kind of – I don't know either. I didn't even notice that, but I, I was trying to just for just a little bit backtrack and see how many of these people are reoccurring in Detective Comics. And as far as I could tell, most of them were. From, yeah. It's, uh, you know, from the beginning, Detective Number 1, most of them – were in there except I couldn't. Captain Byrne wasn't, and all those humor strips weren't. I guess. Yeah, the the, hum, the, the humor, the humor strips, they just kind of rotated around whenever they needed the filler. I could so, see that. Yeah. So I was just trying to figure out who got bumped off for Batman, but. Um, I, I know this. I just I just had it yesterday. It was it was the Larry Steele strip by Bill Eli. Okay. And I don't even know if that guy was. Around from the beginning, I don't think he was. But I would have to, I would have to Google that. I don't know. I don't know. Anyway, it's interesting. I just, I like this strategy because you know nowadays a new guy gets a brand new book, mm-hmm. or it but, spins out of, you know, yeah, final crossover night. Back then, it's rain, like whatever. Just throw in as many stories as you can fit, and whatever yeah. sticks sticks. Whatever doesn't gets dropped. Up. Yeah. Yeah, it's a good idea. Um, okay. We want to look at uh, what else was on the stands way back then? Absolutely. All right. Uh, if we head on over to the Wayback Machine at Mike's Amazing World of DC Comics at dcindexes.com, uh, Batman's debut actually it kind of coincides with a period of growth for what will eventually become DC Comics. Two new, bu- two new books had just debuted, and there's going to be more coming in the, the months ahead as well as some other milestone issues from other companies. Uh, first up was All American Comics number two, and there was um, that had just launched the month before, and that was actually an All American Publications book. Do you know the story behind that, Mike? No. Uh, the short, long and short of it is, um, All American Publications was founded by MC Gaines, and it was a completely separate company from National, but mm-hmm. they crossed over with their ed- editorial character some and the promotions between the two lines or the two companies. So, you know, and the AA books were even published under the DC brand for most of their runs. So, okay. In a, in a sense, they were, the, they were two separate companies, but from a reader standpoint, they almost looked like the same company. Okay. And eventually, eventually they will merge together. So, you know, in a sense, they are the same company, but right. But anyway, all American comics, number two, that was an AA book. Um, that had uh, all the normal features in it. There was Action Comics number 12, 
with a Zaytara cover by Fred Gardner, and this was the first action cover to feature a strip from inside the book other than Superman, because all the other covers that didn't have Superman on them were just generic action shots. Okay. So that was kind of interesting. Yeah. And I don't think we mentioned it earlier in the episode, but there's an ad at the end of the Superman story in that issue that promotes the new Batman strip over in Detective. Right. It's got a little headshot of Batman. And so technically, that's that's the first appearance of Batman. Technically, yes. That ad right there, just the uh-huh. headshot. Mm-hmm. That's kind of cool. And there was Movie Comics number two. That was also an AA book. Movie Comics, what it did is it adapted movies. And apparently it had photo heads pasted over like illustrated bodies that recreated movie scenes. Okay. Yeah, I was wondering about that because there's there is an ad I forgot to mention in in this detective that says thanks for buying movie comics, mm-hmm. kid, and then in there it talks about the next stories are going to have starring Jackie Cooper. I'm thinking, how does Jackie Cooper star <laughs> star in a comic book? That doesn't make sense. But yeah, but apparently yeah. I've never seen it, but apparently it was pretty terrible from everything I've read, mm. and it only lasted six issues. So well, I don't know. That ad said that hey, it's selling great. You should buy. <laughs> And an ad wouldn't lie. Oh, never, never would an, an ad lie. Yeah. But, um, yeah, the the movie comics number two, that adapted Stagecoach starring John Wayne. And it also adapted uh, or continues to adapt Scouts to the Rescue, which was a movie serial that starred Jackie Cooper, who would go on to play Perry White in the Chris Reeve Superman movies. Ah, it always comes back to it Superman. It all comes back to Superman. I see. And there was Whatever. also <laughs> – there was also More Fun Comics number 43 mm. and Adventure Comics number 38. And there's uh, two other books I just thought I'd mention. They're not uh, DC books, but there was Feature Funnies number 20 from Quality Comics, and that was the final issue of that title because it's going to get renamed to Feature Comics with number 21. And then there was the notorious Wonder Comics number 1 from Fox Publications. And that book features the first and only appearance of Wonder Man who was a Superman knockoff created by Will Eisner uh, at the behest of Victor Fox. Mm. And DC quickly sued ah. Fox Publications and got that shut down. And so that's the very first uh, character you know, to get sued over for knocking off Superman. Must have been nice back then. You could... You know, you only had Superman out, and you know, pretty much any time someone came out with a strong guy, you could say, oh, "You're clearly, <laughs> you're clearly ripping off Superman." Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I can't get away with that anymore. But like with Captain Marvel, I mean, that's how they got away with that, I think. So yeah, unfortunately, yeah. I think that about does it. Um, if you have any feedback or comments or questions, you can email us at podcast at batmanlegends.com. There's also a, the website where you can see show notes and and leave comments, and that's www.batmanlegends.com. If you want to subscribe to the show, you can do that via the RSS feed, or we're, we may be on iTunes by the time this this uh, by the time you hear this. I'm not sure. It depends on how things line out. We're we're actually recording this a little early to try to get a jump on on episodes. So, but um, we'll, we will eventually be on iTunes. So. Yes. And uh, we will have a Facebook page as well. We should have that set up by the time you hear this, and there'll be a link to that at the website as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that about does it. There's always uh, be sure to check out my show, The Thrilling Adventures of Superman, at www.greatcrypton.com. If anybody's 
wanting to read along, just to let you know that next next week we'll be covering Detective Comics number 28. Okay, well, I think that's about it. Thanks All again right. for listening. Thank um, you. Batman was created by Bill Finger and Bob Kane and is copyright DC Comics, and we will talk to you next time. See you next week. Bye.